What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's March Madness edition, presented by CoolBet. We'll recap yesterday's tournament action. Did we win some bets? I'd like to think so. Did we lose some bets? Yeah, probably. How did it all shake down, and how did the big games affect betters, bracket contests, and survivor entries alike? Then we'll look ahead to today's games. What are the best bets, survivor plays, and other critical matchups for your bracket challenge? You can't beat the madness. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell, and day one of March Madness proper was absolutely electric, I thought. I had a great time watching basketball yesterday. What a treat to have it back. Uh, Three and two from a best bet standpoint, you know, not showing off, not falling behind. And if you're new to the show, uh, feel free to ask somebody who's not new to the show. But basically, that's how it works. Three wins, pretty easy, no sweats laid in the game. You know, no worrying about free throws, that kind of stuff. Had it the whole way type stuff. Or at least almost the whole way in in the case of one game. Meanwhile, the losses, you know, just absolute pains in the butt. Whether it's sort of overtimes, maybe an underdog going to overtime, or just sort of that pick'em type game coming down to a last shot. Does it get made? Does it not get made? Or a backdoor cover. And that's where we start with yesterday's quick review here. Baylor. Minus 25 and a half had it as a best bet. And I said yesterday, you'll be surprised to hear that I have a, you know, first of all, a 116 game as a best bet. And then secondly, you'll be surprised to hear that I have the favorite in a minus 25 and a half situation. And of course, that burned us. And Baylor sort of phoned in the first 10 minutes of that game. And in the end, that's what cost us the difference between it being like a 40 point win and a, what, 25 four-point win that came down to the scrubs at the end coming off the bench and you know if you're watching that game the guy is coming off the bench first for Baylor you're just like oh this this last couple minutes is gonna get weird and sure enough it did so I mean the game was pin you know ping-ponging between sort of 25 and 28 point lead and then eventually with a late layup you know what 15 seconds left something along those lines uh, Hartford gets it to 24 and Baylor dribbles out the clock. And so not necessarily a bad beat. It's just one of those that it was a coin flip, right? A coin flip with these two teams emptying their bench for a couple of uh, minutes at the end of their, uh, at the end of the game. So, you know, frustrating, uh, especially since, you know, nothing was on the line. And those are the ones that are, you know, quite painful. So we'll go down the bracket here. Uh, UNC Wisconsin talked about backing UNC as sort of a secondary type bet. You can fire that North Carolina Tar Heels program into the sun at this point. Uh, You know, tweeted about it yesterday. The fact that we missed March Madness last year sort of hid the fact that North Carolina was like Duke this year. North Carolina wasn't going to make the tournament last year. In fact, one of the last meaningful games was them getting blown out of the ACC tournament in their last chance to make a run to get into the tournament. So, you know, you go, okay, Duke this year missed the tournament, Kentucky, ha ha ha, like really funny. But like North Carolina already had that last year. And then they quote unquote reload and they come back and they're an 8-9 seed who gets blown out by Wisconsin. And this Wisconsin team, if you've been following them at any point this season, stinks. 
stinks. Soft, and North Carolina made them look tough. Um, you know, relatively incapable when it comes to offense. North Carolina look, made them look like an offensive juggernaut. And I talked about how, you know, Wisconsin might win this game. They might, you know, hit a bunch of three-pointers and all of that sort of thing. And then, sure enough, that's exactly what happened. 13 three-pointers for Wisconsin on 27 attempts. And, of course, North Carolina trailing for much of the game. You'd think, okay, you know what? Like, sure, we probably have to force it here, but let's get some more three-pointers up there. They still only shot 13 three-pointers. Only 13 attempts when you're that far behind. So, like, you know... I kind of feel like basketball coaching at times is like music and your personal taste in music. Think about your personal taste in music and your favorite bands, your favorite singers, and all of that sort of thing, right? Most of the time, unless you're, you know, really advanced from, you know, being into music and, and that sort of thing, most of the time, your favorite music is going to come from an age where you learned about music or you first discovered music, right? So for me, it's, you know, 90s, whether it's hip-hop or uh, alternative rock, right? Like, that's sort of my era. And then everything sort of after that, it sort of gets compared to that era. With basketball coaches, I think it's the same thing. And if you're get, having a ton of success in the 80s and early 90s before people realized in basketball that it comes down to three-point shooting and creating three-point shots and having a high percentage and a high volume of three-point shooting. That's what we've seen here in the last decade. And when you're coaching basketball, like it's 1989, that's going to be a problem. So Roy Williams is showing up essentially, you know, with uh, hairband hair trying to play basketball against these teams that know more than he does so at this point 13 three-pointers for to five three-pointers that's eight three-pointers difference you do some quick math there times three that's 24 points and wisconsin wins by 23 points so <laughs> not that complicated when it comes down to it. And I think you'll find that a lot of these games just come down to who's shooting it better. Uh, next up down the bracket here, Villanova and Winthrop. You guys, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe it. Winthrop didn't win. Winthrop, everybody's, you know, put it down 12 over a 5. Oh, Villanova, the injury issues, right? And yes, injury issues from a, you know, macro standpoint. You know, are they going to win the national championship? No, they probably weren't going to anyway. Are they going to make the final four? No, they probably weren't going to anyway. Are they going to make the regional final? They're going to give Baylor a scare if they can get past this next game. The answer is probably not. And I don't know if they were going to anyway, but at least they had sort of a puncher's chance before Gillespie goes out. But does that mean that this team that's loaded uh, with high recruits and a potential NBA player or two is just going to fall apart after a week of coaching from Jay Wright, a guy who's won national championships, multiple national championships, all of a sudden he just stinks at coaching and they're not going to be able to sort of tighten things up against Winthrop? Like, congrats on the one-loss season up until this point, Winthrop. But, like, you haven't played Villanova. And maybe after two national championships, people should give Jay Wright a little bit more credit that after having a week off, they could come up with some sort of game plan for a guy, you know, for a team that has one player that anybody sort of even knows of. And that's not saying even just, you know, household name. I'm saying like even after research, Chandler Valdren, Valdren is the only guy that anybody would reference all week long. And so this number drops down to six and it's, you know, just 
most predictable thing um, ever. But again, you're right, the uncertainty of the NCAA tournament, which of course we saw a ton of yesterday. Purdue and North Texas. You know, I've talked about Purdue and, you know, weeks ago. Jaden Ivey as this guy that if you're going to fade Purdue, you have to be aware that this Jaden Ivey character is lurking as a guy who's going to be a difference maker in the tournament. And he has a career high yesterday. Wasn't enough because the rest of Purdue didn't show up for that game. North Texas wins. Great news for us in the round robin money line parlay, which, you know, this is as good a time to any uh, to mention it. But we started the day with this North Texas win. I shouldn't say we started the day. We started the money line parlay with it. And... Then we get the Syracuse win. So now we're two for two on the five-team round robin uh, by threes money line parlay. And we got three more underdogs to go today to hit it. And uh, we only need one to be profitable. They're all significant underdogs. So we will you know, be gaining at least a unit or two if one of those comes up. What if all three come up? How great would that be? At any rate. Um, really nice start there. Uh, I didn't have Purdue advancing in my, excuse me, I didn't have North Texas advancing in my bracket. Not obviously retrospect was a mistake, but it was, you know, I don't really have Purdue going that far anyway. So, uh, not really worried about that. And when we're talking about this bracket situation, just a bloodbath, right? And so don't worry too much about it unless you have, you know, a team going to a regional final that maybe it was sort of an upset type thing. And I think that's what we're seeing here, obviously, in the South, where Texas Tech wins and covers easily against Utah State. The first sign that maybe the Mountain West isn't all that it's cracked up to be. And that was a comfortable win as one of our best bets, of course. Uh, Arkansas, you know, comfortable win in the second half against Colgate. Though That matchup is really interesting as we go into a second round tomorrow with a game that's already essentially just a pick em, despite the 3-6 matchup in the seed line. And Florida and Virginia Tech. And of course, this is where we started yesterday. And unless you were sort of right on top of things when it comes to, you know, the publishing of this podcast... You probably listened to this podcast either while this game was going on, maybe after this game happened, and, you know, what a game to start with. And, you know, obviously Virginia Tech loses in overtime. They get the three-pointer late to tie. A really weird situation that happens a lot, especially in basketball, with which is obviously such a game of runs, and who knows, maybe it would have turned out the same way. If this even if this hadn't happened, but a weird play where the Florida Gators player gets, you know, uh, you know, random elbow by accident in the forehead. And he's bleeding all over the court and there's a huge you know, stop and play. And Virginia Tech's up, I think, eight points at that time. And, and, and you know, you lose a player and I don't know if it's sort of the rallying around your player who's just left or just whatever. Maybe it's just basketball. Maybe it's just, a, you know, what was going to happen anyway. But it actually turns the tide for Florida because Virginia Tech was up double digits throughout you know much of that game or, or very near close to it. And, you know, did they, you know, sort of run out of legs in the same way that they did against North Carolina in the second half from uh, a week ago? Maybe that's what happened. I mean, a lot of fouls that went down. Um, Castleton, who I've watched a fair amount this season, that was by far the toughest that he's looked. And I thought he was going to get out-toughed by that, you know, sort of frontline, the fleet of frontline dudes that Virginia Tech has. And that just didn't happen. So you tip your cap to Castleton. And even then, it takes, you know, a step back three in regulation from Florida. And then the sort of ultimate play in the game was the step back three again from man 
to you know turn a one point game into a four into a four point game and put the game out of reach for Virginia Tech. And so again, you know, one of our best bets on the day for Virginia Tech. But I want to sort of reference the column that I wrote for Betsperts this week. Betsperts.com, the underscore window underscore podcast is the uh, you know creative page, if you will. And it was you know talked about it yesterday, like the most important game of the first round from a bracket standpoint was picking the Florida Virginia Tech game correctly. And that was, you know, I spelled it out. That was because I like whoever wins that game to knock off Ohio State in the second round. And that's what I have in my bracket. And so whether it was going to be Florida or Virginia Tech, you know, that's sort of up to you. For me, it was Virginia Tech. The game goes to overtime. They lose, you know, had a lead for much of the game, whatever, like that stuff's going to happen. And now it's Florida sitting in the catbird seat because, of course, Ohio State loses in the 215 game. And, you know, you know, like it's sort of a backwards way to sort of pat myself on the back here. But like, yeah, that Florida Virginia Tech game kind of looking pretty important right now. Right. Like, you know, Florida going to be a significant favorite against Oral Roberts, you know, likely into the Sweet 16 against Texas Tech or Arkansas. You know, obviously they have familiarity with Arkansas, certainly either team um you know could be beat it's probably going to be at or around a pick em in that game i think if it's texas tech it's closer to uh i've got minus three here if it's texas tech and florida but the point is right like that game is really important all of a sudden and uh you know obviously the ohio state loss massive for uh, survivor pools out there Total bloodbath in Survivor, of course, right? A lot of people looking to use Purdue early and get them out. Surprising amount in my Survivor pool using North Carolina to uh, advance on sort of a quote-unquote, um, you know, Survivor risk, I guess, on, in that case. And then I personally had Ohio State. No regrets from that standpoint. You guys know that I don't think all that much of Ohio State's chances to go particularly far. Uh and it's why when I talked about building the bracket, like just advance the ones and twos and you're going like, well, like a two lost yesterday, dummy. Like, what are you talking about? Like, but okay. But you know, maybe you had Iowa if you're, you know, trying to have a 15 seed knockout at two seed. Maybe you're getting loose with Rick Pitino and you had, you know, Iona. Maybe you don't think that much of Houston and you're trying it. So trying to pick which one of the twos is going to lose is a fool's errand. And if you got to just decide, okay, all you know, I'm going to take... You know, there's a prop bet, right? That's like one of them's going to lose. That's a different situation here. So fundamentally, when, you know, if a two is going to lose, let's just make sure that it's not one that's going to be critical to our success. Now, Alabama and Iona still hasn't played yet. And Alabama's obviously pretty critical to my success. So that's one that I'm looking to, you know, dodge. Same thing with Houston yesterday. Now, I don't have them going necessarily all that far, though it's certainly reasonable, I think, to think so, uh, to think that they will. Um, so you're just trying to dodge the loss there. Why try to predict it? Really just hope that you can dodge the loss. And in the case of Ohio State, even with losing a survivor entry that I can rebuy into, I'm still like, this is one, it's really, really fun to watch a 15 beat a two. And two, like I had them going out in the next round anyway. So that's fine. Nobody's going to have a perfect bracket. And especially after Virginia Tech losing, I'm looking for as much chaos in the bottom portion of that bracket because I had Virginia Tech going to the regional final. And maybe Florida ends up being that team that goes to the regional final, which again would be interesting relative to the column on Betsperts. But, you know, I'm going in and going, okay, like Virginia Tech's out. Now I need some mass chaos 
to happen here. And so I don't know how many people have Florida going to the regional final, but that's what I'm here for now. So, you know, sure, I don't get the points that I would get with Virginia Tech, but the key is limiting the points that you've lost, the points that other people are getting. So if you had Virginia Tech going to the regional final, if you had Ohio State going to the regional final, you're all about Oral Roberts somehow making it to the regional final. But I think you're probably pretty safe with Florida making it to the regional final. Uh, Arkansas and Texas Tech, very reasonable possibility that somebody had them going. So, you know what? Like, for me personally, like, I have Arkansas going on to the next round. That's fine. But I'm going to be cheering for Florida the rest of the way in that portion of the bracket. Uh, heading on down, Illinois, obviously, easy win there. Um, you know, didn't bet that game. Talked about how, like, Drexel at plus 22 is two and a half is interesting glad i didn't bet that game Loyola chicago and georgia tech pretty good game for a while there then obviously you know there just wasn't enough options for georgia tech offensively Loyola chicago got every loose ball every sort of key bounce in that game uh and they're the rightful winners there, setting up that illinois loyola game that i think we all kind of saw coming um for sunday uh tennessee and oregon state didn't end up betting this one again talked about it glad i didn't um overall you know, pretty standard stuff. I think I would would have gone eight and eight if I had bet every single one, which again, we talk about whether it's a craps table, blackjack table, the more you're playing these games, the more you're likely to just be 50%. But if you can square up and find seven, five games that you really like, and that you can have some interest in these other games, whether it's because of a bracket challenge or a survivor pool or something along those lines, that's, I think, the best way to play this. So Tennessee goes down, another one that just wipes out a ton of people in Survivor, you know, that thought, of course, that an eight and a half point favorite would be able to win outright and not a team that you want to trust going any further than that. You know, we had the conversation with Sheldon Alexander this week and talking about roll it out Rick, Rick Barnes, getting it done again, uh, losing in the first round with the much better team happens just about every year to that guy. Uh, Oklahoma State and Liberty, sneaky good game. Cade Cunningham gets in foul trouble early. I'll, you know, kind of standard standard operating procedure, excuse me, for Cunningham in that a lot of times he's feeling it out early on. You know, he gets two, four, six points in the first half, then takes over the game with, you know, double that in the second half and keeping everybody else involved. And, you know, uh, my buddy Brandon, who was on the show on, I believe that was Thursday, they're all blended together at this point, especially with the scheduling um, difference this year. You know, but he mentioned that, uh, he texted me and he mentioned that, uh, you know, Oklahoma State, I didn't really sign up for Cade Cunningham. Uh, he had them in Survivor and he said, I don't, didn't really sign up for Cade Cunningham as, uh, you know, having only two points here in the first half. And I just said to him, I was like, no, when you're signing up for Oklahoma State at this point, you're signing up knowing that if Cade Cunningham doesn't play particularly well for a long stretch, that they're still going to be able to have a lead against a team like Liberty. Now, they're going to need him full force here once we get into these next rounds. Maybe not necessarily against Oregon State, but listen, who's a hotter team right now than Oregon State? And kudos to them, by the way for transferring that heat, if you will, from the Pac-12 tournament to this week. And so, yeah, they're going to need him for 40 minutes more frequently here down the stretch. But that's how good the Oklahoma State supporting cast is. And we've seen that, you know, the win on the road against West Virginia and at other times this season where he's had to sit out either early in the second half because he's gotten a quick third foul. Uh, I think we saw that, I believe, is against Texas, but, um, you know, who knows what my memory's rem uh, remembering at this point. Uh, San Diego State and Syracuse. Um, you know, again, two and two 
into the nightcap because of those two losses, the overtime loss and the Baylor uh, late game nonsense and buffoonery. Um, and so you're okay, great. Like a team that I really like, a program that I really like in San Diego State, and I'm fading them with Syracuse. And sure enough, right, San Diego State can't do anything. They go 10 minutes without scoring a point. At that point, Syracuse ends up, you know, stretching it out and eventually blowing them away uh, with Buddy Beheim, just, you know, putting on that type of show. And it's not all that fun when a guy named Beheim is lighting up the tournament because of the sort of personal branding of Jim Beheim. And I tweeted this out yesterday, and I thought it was pretty good. Um, you know, Jim Beheim's the guy that Tom, that we wish Tom Izzo was, that we think Tom Izzo is, right? January, February, Izzo, and they lose, right? Whether it's getting knocked off, that he's a victim of a two fifteen loss. Um, you know, it's, you know, I don't want to use the term overrated, but like hasn't won a title since 2000, right? Even Syracuse has won a title since then. If you're going to come at me with it, like, you know, what did they ever do? Well, they do have a title in more recent times than the entire Big Ten, by the way. Um, you know, oftentimes a little bit lesser talent, especially in comparison to the Dukes and North Carolinas and the ACC. And of course, everybody hates the zone, but it sucks, but it works. And in this case, he brings in his son and maybe he's hanging in there just to see the end of his son's career from a collegiate standpoint. But you know what? It's a tall kid who can shoot and he can get his own shot at times and he can shoot off of screens and on the move and all of that sort of thing. And, you know, that dude, when he gets hot, is a problem. And over the course of the first, you know, day here, and maybe this ends up being in the first round, find me a guy who had a better performance than Buddy Beheim. So they end up cashing. They end up continuing our Moneyline Parlay, the North Texas and Syracuse legs cash, um, or at least win, and hopefully set up a cash where we can either, uh, not either, but, you know, hopefully we get one of these underdogs that we have today, which we'll talk about after the break. And... Maybe we get all three, and then at this at that point, you can meet me out on the streets, running around gleefully, screaming at the top of my lungs, um, really joyous. <laughs> Hopefully, that ends up being the situation. Uh, West Virginia Moorhead State, the nightcap. Um, my number was twelve and a half. The number was twelve and a half. I didn't have a bet on this. Would have been kind of an interesting sweat late at night, but at least not having this game allowed me to get to sleep a little bit earlier. Um, so didn't play this. Didn't have a bet on that. Uh, but nice to see that West Virginia advanced relatively comfortably. Because one, I think West Virginia-Syracuse, really interesting game here uh, on, I have to figure out the day, Sunday. Um, and, you know, I've got West Virginia advancing to the regional final uh, against Illinois. Uh, Clemson and Rutgers, the exact opposite of entertaining. And there's a headline uh, on Twitter from The Score talking about, you know, Rutgers outlasting Clemson. Which is a phrase you use in, like, hockey in, when a team wins in, like, triple overtime. Or even in basketball, when a team wins in triple overtime. Not when a game ends in regulation. And when you describe something as getting as one team outlasting the other, and they only played 40 minutes, that that lets you know exactly what kind of a rock fight that game was yesterday. Uh, but Rutgers gets there, and listen, from a bracket standpoint, you know, you probably had Rutgers, I suppose. Not going to matter. Not going to matter at all. I, you know, neither of these teams have anything for Houston. The big story out of Houston, you know, they cover easily. Um, in the end, I should say, um, was a little bit dicey, I suppose, for the first half um, as Cleveland State was staying pretty sticky on them. Uh, but Dejon Giroux, uh out with an injury yesterday. I don't know how serious it is. That's obviously something that is going to be a relatively big story when it comes to Houston. Do they need him to beat Rutgers? Probably not. It's going to be more 
in the second weekend if this is something that sort of sustains throughout the tournament and he ends up being out for the tournament or out for more than a week um that's obviously a big deal um so that's a wrap on yesterday's uh, action super fun day and guess what we get to do it again so we're going to talk about all the best bets and all that good stuff right after this quick break Quick break to tell you about some big news for the podcast. Coolbet.com is the presenting sponsor for the Windows March Madness coverage. What does that mean for you? Free money. If you're looking to try single game sports betting for the first time, or you're looking to add to your sportsbook repertoire, Coolbet.com is offering to double your deposit up to $200. There's a link in the description of this podcast, or you can find it on my Twitter feed at MRussAuthentic. Otherwise, simply go to Coolbet.com, create your account and enter the promo code window to double your deposit now back to the betting all right let's dig into saturday's action round one part two and i gotta be honest with you folks i like a lot of stuff today i like more stuff than i did yesterday if we're being completely honest um let's start it off uh, chronological order here georgetown colorado and as much as i say that i like a lot of stuff this one um is probably not much in the way of a bet for me i did find full disclosure i did find a minus five and a half minus 105 for colorado so i did play a half unit on that one just because of that price you'll see in a lot of places minus six being dealt a little bit more and when you're talking about key numbers when it comes to college basketball you know, it's not, they're not nearly as key as they are in football with, you know, threes, sevens, tens, that sort of thing. But in college basketball, right, you know, think about it this way. Um, you know, teams are more likely to keep fouling, especially in the last second. If they're, you know, I shouldn't say in the last second, but like in the last 10 seconds, for example, you know, if they're down six, because that's two possessions. If they're down seven, way less likely to do it. So that six becomes a relatively key number because you know if it's a five-point lead with 10 seconds to go and somebody grabs a rebound, they're going to get fouled most often, right? Like especially in that sort of zone of eight to 15 type seconds. If it's a seven-point game, maybe you've missed a shot and you know ball's loose, the other team grabs the rebound, you're not going to foul seven you know seven points with 10 seconds to go you're not going to do it so again it's relatively small here but you have to think of possessions late in the game and whether a team wants to foul and so if i can get a minus five and a half on a colorado team that i think wins today and does so relatively comfortably given you know and listen we saw oregon state that was able to kind of carry over their good uh play from last week is that just does that mean automatically that georgetown's going to do that no, I certainly don't think so. So small play for me if you can get the minus five and a half when it comes to Colorado. It was available at five earlier on in the week, so hopefully you're able to grab that. A little bit disappointed that I missed out on that five because, again, in this zone here, these numbers become more and more important. Uh, next up, UNC Greensboro, Florida State here. And again, I don't want to start all, you know, chalky here, but another favorite that I like and believe me, we're about to get into the zone here where there's a lot of plus plus the points type stuff here. But Florida State against Greensboro. Greensboro, what do they do, right? Well, they've got one player who's like a next level athlete, outstanding player in Isaiah Miller. And you go, okay, that guy's going to be a problem for a lot of teams. Well, Florida State is loaded with that guy. And I think of a few years ago, the John Morant year 
right? Where he comes in and just dominates against Marquette. They blow out Marquette in the first round. Then the second round, they get Florida State and everybody's on the John Morant train. He's obviously outstanding. Great, you know, NBA uh, you know, prospect at the time and certainly a great NBA player now. And you go, oh, like John Morant, like, uh, you know, let's back John Morant. Oh, we're getting, po- you know, a ton of points here with John Morant. Like, this is really great, you know, blah, blah, blah. And not that we're saying this about Isaiah Miller because he hasn't had that sort of shine moment here um, yet in the tournament. But it's really more about Florida State being able to focus on one player and completely shut them down because they have the dudes to do it. And that's what they did that day to John Morant. And again, different players, in some cases, a couple of the same players, but in college basketball, it's coaching, right? And so we know that Leonard Hamilton can see a next level type player on the other side and come up with a game plan to stop that guy. Now, is Isaiah Miller as good as John Morant? No. And I would even make the case that his, uh, you know, surrounding crew at UNC Greensboro is not as good as that uh, Murray State team back in the day, um, a couple of years ago. And so in this case, obviously the point spread is a little bit different. I don't think it was 10 and a half against Murray State back then. But I think this is just one where Isaiah Miller has a really tough time of it. And that's, you know, he's the difference maker in the SoCon when you're playing the Waffords of the world. But Florida State here, I think, wins this game in a runaway. And the issue with Florida State isn't going to be this game. It's going to be down the road. Uh, Next one up, Eastern Washington. I've been sort of low-key talking about it all week. Like, this is the one. And listen, we had some... We certainly had some upsets yesterday with a 15 knocking off a 2. Of course, we had the 13 knocking off a 4. We didn't get the 14 knocking off a 3 with Colgate not beating Arkansas and Moorhead State not beating West Virginia. And in that case, you know, neither case did the underdog cover. I think this is one where Eastern Washington's pretty live against Kansas. Again, we don't know what the deal is necessarily with how much Kansas is practicing. I don't think it's you know as desperate of a situation as it looks to be with Virginia at this point. But I grabbed them earlier on in the week at plus 11. Uh, it's 10.5 now. They are in our round-robin money line parlay. This is a game that starts at 115. If somehow at plus 500 on this money line that we can get that to go, that would be absolutely outstanding setting up the rest of the week. Uh, well, listen, the rest of the weekend, but certainly the rest of Saturday. So I think Eastern Washington a little bit live there, but certainly plus 10 and a half, I would still play this game as one that hasn't been tip of the tongue for a lot of people when it comes to an upset play. St. Bonaventure and LSU. This is an interesting play here. I, you know, I, I, and this is fundamental sort of sports betting here. I bet LSU minus one and a half early on the week thinking the line was going to go up, Right. Line has gone up to two, not nearly as much as I thought the line was going to go up. I thought we might see, you know, a lot of these lines that have gone up to like three, three and a half. We saw it with the Syracuse-San Diego State game where San Diego State was drawing a bunch of money. By the way, whether it's talking about the first four games on Thursday or the games from yesterday, really rough if you are following the line movement so far. It has been a you know, closing line value debacle for those betting early on in the week at this point. And so, you know, that Eastern Washington falls into that category, unfortunately. LSU falls under the category, that category, unfortunately. So we'll see. It's a half point of line value for each of those teams, but that hasn't worked out much this tournament so far. So, you know, got a half point of line value. We'll see where this goes. Certainly not a best bet for me. Um, probably worth mentioning that, Uh, Florida State and Eastern Washington were best bets. Sorry for that sort of oversight there. Um, 
FSU minus 10.5, Eastern Washington plus 11, best bets of the five best. So if you weren't with us yesterday, we're basically treating this like an NFL Sunday where it's like, what are your five best? And then what are the other plays that you would make if you absolutely had to make plays in these other games? So LSU falls under that category. Texas Southern and Michigan, what are we supposed to expect from this game? I have no idea. It's 25 and a half. That's terrifying considering we tried to dip our toe into a, uh, into a we didn't just dip our toe, we did a, had a best bet. But we had, you know, we got into this at a 25 and a half point spread yesterday with Hartford and Baylor. So why would I want to have flashbacks to, you know, emptying the bench in a 28 point game? I'm just not going to do it, so why bother? Uh, UC Santa Barbara, plus seven and a half, boom, best bet. Um, this is one where, you know, everybody sort of had circled, you know, along with, we'll get to the Virginia, Ohio game, et cetera, et cetera. This one, I think actually does come through. I think UCSB wins this game outright. And that's going to be the one that is going to make our money line parlay profitable. Um, obviously had to include the Eastern Washington one at plus 500 as my sort of biggest upset of the tournament. I think it's the only upset that I have in my bracket from a 14 seed or higher. Yes, that's correct. Um, so, you know, this is this is the one that I'm, I don't want to say I'm staking my reputation on, it's a plus 500 underdog, but this is the one that I think was going to come in. Now, there's been a handful, obviously, yesterday, and, and does that make upsets less likely today? You know, not necessarily, but it's certainly, got, you certainly have to wonder if there's one day in each tournament where it's just a little bit crazier than the others. Uh, so UCSB, best bet, plus seven and a half. Iona, Alabama, right now this one's a stay away for me. Um, Minus 16 and a half, still just a little bit higher than I was hoping to pay um, for Alabama. I thought the whole Rick Pitino, Iona sort of storyline was going to get you know a little more traction from the betting public that we're looking to back Iona plus the points. Uh, USC, I bet this at minus six, full disclosure, so can't make that a best bet because it's now six and a half. And I just talked about how relatively important this number six is. Uh, almost said an NIT game. You know, I don't know that you're looking to bet the NIT today. Uh, Grand Canyon plus 14. This one just on the cusp of a best bet. We've talked about three of the five best bets so far. Just on the cusp. Certainly betting it. You know, you could very much consider it if we, you know, if I wasn't going under this rule of five best bets. This one, if we extended to seven best bets, let's just say, um, this would be on that list, plus 14 against Grand Canyon. Missed out on the 14 and a half that it was earlier on this week, but I think that, you know, again, hopefully that shows we're on the right side, but that's not exactly what the uh, situation has been up until the point this season. Maryland, Connecticut, I'm still waiting on the first person that says they like Maryland, and that doesn't mean that I'm betting Maryland. But it certainly means that I'm probably going to stay away from UConn. And because I don't have much in the way of investment from UConn, obviously I have, you know, we've talked about UConn in the futures portfolio earlier on this season. But of course, they end up in the same corner of the bracket as Alabama. And my futures on Alabama are far more lucrative than my futures on UConn. So I wouldn't mind if Maryland knocked off UConn here, if we're being completely honest. Um, that said, talked yesterday about sort of a you know, value futures play with Colorado and Yukon as 13 to one, uh, available f to win the region. So I think that's enough for me to say, okay, if Yukon moves on, that's cool. Like there's sort of a modicum of a hedge there. Um, but long story short, that's not a, that's not a play that I'm looking to make as this number has sort of gotten uh, a little bit out of control after opening at two now at three. And my number was two and a half, by the way, before, um, all the line movements and, and whatnot started up here. Uh, next up, Ohio and Virginia. I bet it at eight and a half earlier on the week. We talked about that um, mainly because 
the number could only go down, in my opinion. It's down to seven, so we get a full point and a half of closing line value. I don't think Ohio wins this game. You know, a lot of people think they have a shot. Maybe they do. Again, we don't know, still don't really know what the situation is from Virginia's lineup. Um, we saw what effect that obviously Moses Wright had to Georgia Tech yesterday. Obviously, that's their best player. I don't even know if there's a guy. Maybe it's Kia Clark from just sort of an important standpoint. But I don't know if there's one guy on Virginia that if he just was out of the game, it would drastically affect the line. But this opened 10 and a half, and now it's 7, which, by the way, you know, I didn't mention it when we talked about you know, the recap from yesterday with the Oklahoma State Liberty game. But, you know, in some cases, the best thing I can do is tell you not to bet a game. And in that one, we had an opening line of nine and a half, talked about it. I was hoping to get 10, got a little greedy, didn't happen. I missed nine and a half. It goes down to seven and a half, then seven on game day. And the game lands on nine in just a catastrophe of a last <laughs> of a last 30 seconds where Oklahoma State looks like they're going to dribble out and maybe just take a shot clock violation. And the guy throws up a three. And then that, you know, if that had gone in, that would have covered even the early number for Oklahoma State. But then wait a second. Liberty's got a chance at the end here to get a backdoor cover on all the numbers sitting at nine, a layup, the kid misses the layup. And if you had the worst of the number at plus seven, or if you came back across and bet Oklahoma State minus the seven, you know, you're sitting there with your heart in your throat. And again, I didn't bet the spread. And I was still like shouting, like, you know, horror at, at, at that last uh, 15 seconds of play. So, you know, regards or sympathies or whatever to whoever had, you know, was involved in that game at the tail end. But, you know, again, in some cases, it's just, you know what? Don't take a really bad number because it will bite you. And maybe it's the difference, you know, if you bet every single game, it might be the difference between you going nine and seven and eight and eight, right? And, you know, or nine and seven and eight and seven because you just stayed away from that game. So again, these are the small things that sort of add up. And whether it's maybe I, you know, maybe I didn't talk you into Villanova, right? But maybe I talked you out of Winthrop. And maybe I talked you out of betting Liberty at a bad number. So um, hopefully that's the type of stuff that you glean from this podcast uh, you know, on a daily basis, if you will, instead of just like, oh, who did he like? Who did he pick? What's the record? It's like, you know, let's just be cognizant that this stuff happens all the time. So like, I can't recommend betting Ohio plus seven. I can't say that my Ohio plus eight and a half is a best bet. And you know what? If somebody's you know, gloating about giving out plus 10 and a half, like that was not up for very long. And, you know, I don't expect you on Sunday night to be like scattering, you know, what is it? Uh, scouring yes scouring the uh internet for the best you know the plus 10 and a half number knowing that you wanted to bet ohio immediately on seeing plus 10 and a half because there's a very reasonable chance that you saw a plus 10 and a half and we're like well maybe i can get 11 right like who's gonna like this ohio team and then we find out that everybody likes this ohio team and now the number goes from 10 and a half to seven so if we're being completely honest i kind of think this might be a liberty oklahoma state situation where virginia ends up winning this game by nine points Maybe it's eight points, hopefully, you know, but maybe it's nine, maybe it's 10 points. And so you get this sort of, you know, gambling Twitterati out there just patting themselves on the back for getting a great number. But you know who that helps? Nobody, right? Nobody. So um, by and large, a stay away. I don't have this wrapped up in the Moneyline Parlay. If you're buying what people are selling with regards to Jason Preston or the, um, you know, the just the volatility of the fact that Virginia, we don't really know what Virginia is going to look like. They're practicing in the parking lot for all we know then maybe the money line is the spot for you just to see what that uh, volatility looks like. But this number is really low at this point if Virginia is at full strength. And certainly this wouldn't be the number if they were at full strength and they had been practicing all week long. Um, this one's going to surprise you. 
from a best bet standpoint, I think. I've talked myself into Missouri. And I've talked myself in Missouri in a really big way. And for two main reasons. One, obviously, um, you know, COVID positive test for Oklahoma, uh, for a player who helps them, you know, penetrate the defense, um, play really good defense from a perimeter standpoint. You know, this offense for Oklahoma can get stagnant, can get very Austin Reevesy, where he's just kind of dribbling around and taking step back threes and trying that whole thing. For however you want to talk about Missouri, and listen, I don't like this team very much. They're long, they're athletic, and that was a problem for Oklahoma against Texas early on this season, where, you know, home game, Oklahoma just didn't have any answer for the amount of front court length that Texas has. And are these Missouri guys as good as the Texas guys in that department? No, they're not, but they have a veteran point guard and a big guy as well who you know, frankly, could push Austin Reeves around a little bit if that's the way they go defensively. So I'm going with Missouri here and I'm making it a best bet. Money line, pick them, however you want to sort of put it. If you want, if you're able to grab a plus one um, at a decent price, a minus 110 or better, feel free to do so. But I think, again, I think Missouri wins this game on the court because I think that's a critical, uh, a critical missing piece for them from a COVID positive standpoint. Norfolk, Gonzaga, no thank you. Same sort of deal. We're talking about minus 33 here. I talked earlier in the week about how either team getting past the you know first four games is going to be a 30-point underdog to Gonzaga. And that's inflated you know to 33 at this point because it's Gonzaga and people want to bet on Gonzaga. So just, you know again, why get involved in just total nonsense and buffoonery? Uh, late slate here. And this is, like I'm going to be sweating it up late tonight i'll tell you this right now because one byu i think absolutely trucks ucla today and at minus four that's worth a best bet for me um i think they win this game comfortably i don't think anybody wants much to do with byu i think we're getting a couple of points of value uh in this game just based on that um you know ucla a team that you know, nice win against Michigan State, but like that looked pretty grim for a really long time. And I think BYU is just a better outfit here. Uh, and at minus four, I'll try my hand with BYU as a best bet. Abilene Christian in Texas. So I'm not betting this game just yet. And here's why. It's the final piece of the round robin money line parlay. And just to refresh, the round robin money line parlay is five teams grouped in threes, you know, parlayed together. And we've already hit Syracuse, we've already hit North Texas, and we'll have a couple other games well before this one that if they hit, or if they don't hit, right, like that's going to set up how I feel about this game. And so if, say, they both hit, for example, and we have, you know, thousands of dollars riding on at the Abilene Christian money line here, then... Like, I'm pretty much already deep into it, and I don't think I need to be betting Abilene Christian plus eight and a half for a unit if that ends up being the case. Now, if Eastern Washington loses and Santa Barbara loses, and now we're just left with essentially just a money line play on Abilene Christian at, you know, what, plus 325 then maybe I'm more apt to bet plus eight and a half on Abilene Christian. And I would certainly, you know, again, if you're not in on the money line parlay, this would be a play that I would say, if you need some action here, Abilene Christian plus eight and a half. It would never be a top five play for me. It wouldn't even be a top seven play for me. But again, if you need it, there it is. Uh, and then finally, Virginia Commonwealth and Oregon. Obviously, we are sort of emotionally committed in a weird way to this Oregon team this season. And, 
here we are. We're off and running here. Now, I have some, you know, there's people that I respect out there that like VCU plus five and a half here. Completely get it. For me, you know, money where my mouth is here. And, I, you know, I'm looking for Oregon and Iowa to be a matchup in the second round. And so at five and a half, that's certainly short enough for Oregon to be a bet for me there. Again, not in the category of the five best bets, in part because, you know, from a bankroll management, I got enough riding on Oregon advancing here that I don't need to get super loose here when they're a favorite, when I would be content with them winning by two or three or four or five points even if they don't cover. Hopefully, it doesn't come to that. Which, of course, brings us to Survivor. And I shouldn't say, of course, because you don't know what I'm necessarily going to say when it comes to which teams that I've selected for Survivor. But why not? In for a penny, in for a pound. Oregon is a play for me in Survivor. And, you know, again, am I committed to them? Yes. Do I want to be picking them in Survivor against, say, Iowa? No, not particularly. Um, From a strategic standpoint, I like to try to group them here. So I'm going Iowa and Oregon from a survivor pick standpoint in this one. If you're sort of following along, maybe you're in your own survivor pool. Maybe you're in my survivor pool and you just kind of want to know, hey, what's Russell up to? That's what I'm up to. Um, No futures of any kind to really add here necessarily if, uh, you know, just from a bracket standpoint is, you know, you might say, is there a game where, you know, whoever wins could go on a long run, right? Is this the, you know, a Florida, Virginia Tech type of a thing? Not really, (laughs) right? Because we've talked about the Creighton, Virginia, that whole area just eventually just going to get smacked down by Gonzaga. And while I have sort of an, you know premonition inkling sort of concern for Gonzaga if Missouri went on went along because of just sort of how scrappy that team can be uh, I don't think that's a situation where it's like Oklahoma or Missouri one of you know whoever wins that game could take down Gonzaga you could make the case LSU St. Bonaventure though is that game because again if everybody hates Michigan and you know the 8-9 oh you know whoever comes out of there could knock off Michigan like maybe that qualifies but that's why none of these games were on the same level of Florida and Virginia Tech now maybe UConn and Maryland if we thought Alabama was going to lose to Iowa you know maybe that becomes one but that's certainly not um you know something that I think is going to happen because I think Alabama wins that game comfortably. So from a bracket standpoint, just you know, hope for the best out there, everybody. Like again, you know, at this point, I always sort of say look two rounds ahead. So if you lose somebody in your Sweet 16, that sucks. Obviously, if you lose somebody that makes it to the uh, you know Elite Eight, that sucks. But don't get too down on yourself if you had Ohio State going far, um, at least to the regional final. If you had them going to the final four or the final, yeah, you're probably hooped at that point. And you're just hoping for complete mass chaos with Baylor eventually losing, etc., etc. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully it's as as fun of a day as it was um, yesterday. Hopefully maybe even a little bit more profitable. And hopefully a couple of these underdogs that we're relying on come through. That would be outstanding. Don't forget, you can still use the promo code WINDOW over at CoolBet.com or use the link in the description. I'm at MRUSAuthentic on Twitter. Until tomorrow, I'll see you at the window.